0: This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. This is Nabil Memo with your host, Nomad Futurist from Hawaii. This is Philip Cobas, your co-host from Brooklyn, New
1: York. Brooklyn, New York. And this is Kerry Guest from Mississippi.
0: Carrie, thank you very much for joining us. Let's start with a little bit about your background, who you are, what you do, and where you're at in your career.
1: So I've been in this industry for about 40 years, kind of in every shape, form, and fashion. I've done programming. I've been a consultant. I started networking divisions when nobody even knew what networking was. I've been um, a CIO, or the equivalent of what we now call a CIO, at a couple different companies. And I am now the founder or uh, one of the founders and principals um, and chief technology officer for a company called Strategicom, And we started this with the expectation that 50% of our employees would be female and 50% of all our uh, partner referral to sister partner companies would go to diversely owned
0: enterprises. How did you get involved in the technology space?
1: Um, by accident. Totally. I started out in architecture and I started teaching that in college And then AutoCAD came about, and they were hiring programmers. So in between classes, I started writing code for AutoCAD AutoCAD. and found out that that coding pays a lot more than (laughs) architecture. So I started writing code for that, and then they had a project to tie a bunch of campuses together and wanted to know if I would take that on since I wasn't scared that a computer would chew my arm off up to the elbow. And so I said sure and back then it was all frame relay it wasn't real networking like we have today but i sort of started that and kind of fell in love with tech because it changes all the time so i uh, you know i've had several different careers and you learn something new every day
0: what led you to your profession what was the driving factor what should led you into the profession of technology
1: i really just enjoyed the um two things about it well three actually you know, writing code and having a program come to life. It's sort of like raising a kid, you know, you start it from its infancy when it's a thought and then it comes through and, you know, something in fruition, which I really enjoyed. I also really enjoy the puzzle solving pieces of technology and the fact that it's, it's one area that you can sort of marry the two halves of your brain. So you can use the creative side and use the technical side and put them together. But like I said, you know, it it was completely an accident for me. I ended up going back to, uh, to school, uh, to learn more about it, you know, in different languages and all that kind of stuff, but yeah, it definitely isn't where I started. My my first college, I was on full boat as a theater education major. So there you have it.
2: You know what's you know what's amazing is uh, this idea of wearing many hats. I, I think when people think of technology or critical infrastructure, you know, they think of um, you know, people that just are in love with computers or they've just been in in you know a, a computer person for their entire lives, but. The 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 breadth of areas that are involved in delivering something within technology, whether it's on you know the security side, or it's on the coding side, or it's on the infrastructure side, or what have you, I, has always struck me as incredibly interesting. It sounds like. Over the course of your career, you've worn these many hats. I know when people ask me what I do, um, the only way I can really describe it is I, I'm a problem solver I'm a, you know, technology problem solver. Um, how, how much of that do you think has um, aided you in staying you know excited about this, this type of career and led to the longevity that you've had in your career at this point?
1: So for me,' that's, that's the big turn on of tech, right? And I tell young people that all the time. If you don't like where you start, look to the left, look to the right. (laughs) There's something very parallel that is something completely different. And I think, you know, now it's become people are very specialized in one little avenue of their career and they sort of take that path and they run with it. And the attrition rate for women in tech is actually pretty horrible. It's 67%. And I think a lot of that is because they start in one path that they think they're going to enjoy and they get frustrated and And leave for a variety of reasons, but you know, tech changes all the time, and there's there's so many different avenues. You know, if you take a data center, for instance, you can be in the trades, which you know builds them. You can certainly be in operations that run them. You can be on the coding side that writes code that sits in them. The networking side that configures the networking. I mean, there's just this myriad of careers in tech, and to me, that's that's what I love because you know, to do something stagnant that just doesn't change would drive me crazy so i really enjoy the fact that it changes all the time
2: and and i think that's the key differentiator right that 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 lack of just um, you know, a singular focus and monotony um, in in the world, even if you were to stay in the same lane, like let 's say you loved uh, a particular part of it and you were an operations folks. the pace of technology changes so greatly that it gives you the ability to keep things fresh in a way that I think if you were in finance or legal, yes, there are some nuanced changes um, to, you know, tax code or, 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 you know, other, other methods. It's just not the same. <laughs> I don't know. We're not releasing the video. Carrie just put a uh, fake gun to her head.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah. The yeah, uh, whole accounting try. thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, it, it, uh, I've got a really good friend. This is CFO and I was, it, we became friends actually when I was interviewing for a job and, During that interview, I said, "You know, it takes a really special person to do accounting, and I'm just not it." You know, some Um, people like that though. It takes, you know, it takes all kinds to make the world. That's a very
2: southern. That's a very southern way. That was that's the bless your heart, right? That's the (laughs) uh, the, (laughs) very
0: (laughs) very special person. Very (laughs)
2: special person. (laughs) Um, I wanted to touch on something else that you said, um, just because it's 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 fresh on my mind, about your guys' focus early on in not only working with um women to a large extent, but diverse businesses. And and I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about how relevant that is to this moment that we're living in where you know diversity and, and social justice are you know top of mind as you see protests, not just across all 50 states of the country, but the entire world, you know, that seems like it was a focus for you, you know, when when it wasn't necessarily, you know, mainstream news. Can you go into a little bit of detail about that?
1: Well, I mean, I, th- I think everybody deserves a leg up and we don't do enough of that in this industry as a whole, right? You know, it, it's kind of sort of competitive where a lot of people are out for their own. And, you know, women in the industry has been a cause near and dear to my heart for obvious reasons. For those of you that can't see me. I'm actually a woman. I do have a deep voice, but I'm a woman. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, there's not enough of us. And certainly we're not represented well, and we don't do enough to lift, e- lift each other up. So I really got tired of companies that pay lip service and say they're doing it. You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of companies that say, you know, we've really tried to hire a woman, but it just got difficult. So we didn't do it. Or we really tried to, you know, get somebody diverse on the payroll, but we had to pay relocation and that was just way too much. And it's a proven fact that when you have that diversity on boards and you have diversity in leadership, that the companies do better. You know, you've got you've got um, you know, the big financials now are saying that they won't take a company public if there's not women represented on their board. And these young kids that are coming up as they look for a company and they figure out where they're going to work, if they don't see themselves on the board, they just don't even apply. And so I think, you know, to really draw a line in the sand and say, look, I'm not going to talk about it. We're actually going to do this. And we've worked really hard to get some partnerships with companies that fit that bill. And, you know, not to the exclusion of others. We certainly have projects that will send out to other companies because they happen to be the best fit. But where we can, we will absolutely, you know, keep with that motto to try to uplift other companies and other folks that are trying to make it in this industry.
2: And uh, it's 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 a it's a wonderful kind of um, you know corporate philosophy, um, uh, and particularly when it's not just lip service and it's not just something to to score you know political points or, or social media points or whatever. But I'm also struck by the the um, the moment we're in. You have this kind of pandemic moment and this push for social justice, where um, I know we'll get into. Um, digital transformation and that kind of thing. But you've had a lot of these companies that have had to look inward and allow themselves and their employees, you know, to work remotely and 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 really change the way they think in terms of whether their focus is on finding employees that are within their particular region and scope. And it struck me when you said that, you know, one of the um, impediments to uh, hiring diversity is paying relocation costs. If you think that based on the moment we're in, there's this opening to no longer think in those terms of actually having to care about relocation costs across a number of industries and whether that will allow companies that, you know, to kind of open up the way they think and increase diversity in organizations where, you know, work from home becomes the norm or work from anywhere becomes the norm.
1: Well, you know, it's funny because I, I was speaking on a women's panel about, I don't know, three or four years ago, and one of the questions came up about why do you think so many women, you know, fall out of tech? And my answer was, you know, tech does a terrible job of using tech to solve our problems. And normally, you know, if somebody has to leave and become the caregiver, just the way it is, it tends to be the woman. And so and the woman makes less than the man. So, you know, all of these things, remote is something that serves, you know, solves a lot of those problems, right? What if she what if she gets to work from home when her kid's sick for the day? How easy is that? But there's so many companies that have really pushed back. And I think the pandemic has has really shown us a lot of things. It's shown us that. People are productive working at home. Now, don't get me wrong. Everybody can't work at home. And there's times, I think, when you certainly need FaceTime. And there's some people that don't function well in a remote environment. You know, that they need that human daily interaction or whatever. And I think we're going to see a mix of that coming back, whether it's, you know, work from home or work from anywhere. But, you know, companies kind of came to that table kicking and screaming. It wasn't by design. And the companies that were doing it did that really as an active measure to say, you know, we value our companies, we value your work-life balance, we value your contributions, and we realize that you're a grown-up and you can make those contributions from anywhere. And I think the other byproduct of that is look what it's done for the environment. Look how much better the smog is and and all of these places now where water's cleared up and, you know, we've done a huge benefit to the environment. So I think the byproducts coming out of this are going to be some great things. But to your point, you know, Remote work has solved a lot of that, but what really needs to change is the HR organizations in many companies, because HR um, doesn't really change a lot, and, and they haven't figured out ways to make that work, and they haven't figured out ways to make people accountable. And there's certainly security issues around remote work that has to be addressed. Company information is safe, and you know things haven't been compromised, and that kind of stuff. But I do think that it's it's definitely been an eye opener, and I think. People are going to sort of in companies are going to kind of rethink that. I know that some of the Silicon Valley companies now have said that they're going to let half their employees work remotely, but they've also said that if you work remotely and you're not in Silicon Valley, they're going to dock your pay because it's so expensive to live there, right? So maybe that's a, a good answer to solve some of those problems too. Let have your folks work remotely and then the housing prices drop in Silicon Valley because the demand is not there like it is right now. So I think there's going to be a big ripple effect through all of this with some of this and and companies really getting to where they can be more strategic.
0: A couple of points here. First of all, I want to actually make sure that our listeners understand that technology is not the bad space. We have only been in the space for about 30 to 40 years, if not. The challenge that you talk about women in tech or women just in general workforce is much bigger when you look at other verticals. Technology has actually given women the opportunity to get involved. We do have the ability to work remotely. We've had that for a long time. But if you look at other verticals, other marketplaces, they don't. Such as retail, banking, those verticals have been run by bums in the seats, right? That's like the generation prior. That's how they were trained. That's how they ran it. But technology, clarify
2: for our listeners, that's uh, that's the English version of BUM, which is but, not yes. the American version of BUM, which is an insult.
0: Anyhow, the point here to really is that we have made strides and we've been actually on the leading edge, not where we need to be, but we're heading there. And, you know, people like yourself are adding value and creating that awareness in the market space that it needs to be uh, equal, the concept of equality as entails to... Getting paid an opportunity to excel within the organization shouldn't be judged by culture, creed, race, religion or sex for that matter. Absolutely. And technology We're- is a great equalizer.
1: But, you know, by the same token, technology, um, it, it could be used for good or evil. Right. And I think that in a lot of cases, and you see this today, too, that some of these technology platforms, since you're anonymous behind a screen, you can kind of say whatever you want and do whatever you want. And I, I think that um, it, it, it's a double-edged sword, right? It can be used for absolute good and it can solve a ton of these problems. Look at online shopping. That's changed retail drastically. You know, mm-hmm. you've got sites like Etsy and and even Amazon is as big a wrap as they get. There's so many small mom and pop short stores that sell on Amazon. And, you know, it brings, it brings products out to a lot of different areas that it wouldn't. So, you know, tech is not... Um, It's gotten to the point, you know, when I started in tech, it was a necessary evil, right? You had to have your data. You had to have these little things. There was a huge cost to it. And, you know, companies just sucked it up because you had to have data. And now if you lose your data, you lose everything. Like literally, it has become the driving force behind most companies. So it really has uh, grown and changed over, over
0: time. Yeah, and it's going to continue to change. I mean, this is the core of the business for sustainability and continuity for, for any business on a go-forward basis. So secondly, you actually mentioned about working from home, working from anywhere, and people's compensation or salaries and both getting changed. But that's the new norm. I mean, it's going to give people an opportunity to choose between life and work and create that life and work balance, whereby we've been actually teaching work and life balance uh, in the North American um, marketplace. I'll give an example. I mean, I lived in California, worked in California, flatlined in California, and then I moved to Hawaii <laughs> <laughs> because I chose the life over work. And this pandemic is potentially a great example for people to understand that and, and, and step back and evaluate like there is a better way of doing it and not be stuck in the conventional way of working.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, when I was coming up through the ranks, of course, I think the experience for women in this industry was, was different than it was for males in the industry because there were so few of us, right? And we felt like we had to work twice as hard and we had to do twice as much. And, and a lot of the companies back then would pay you out of your vacation just so you wouldn't take it. And I think I was probably 45 maybe before I took my first week-long vacation. And I thought, holy cow, you've really been missing out, you idiot. <laughs> and, and to your point, you know, work-life balance or life-work balance or, you know, you need, to, you need to live to work versus work to live or, you know, however that equation works for you. Uh, self-care is important. It really is. And I think, you know, some, some companies do a sabbatical after you've been there for a certain period of time. But I think just being able to, uh, to turn your head off, put your feet up, and it, it changes your way of thinking, too like some people do their best work when they're crammed and and really really busy but most innovation comes when you're just able to turn that off sit back think of different solutions and you know it's it's kind of a game changer really
2: yeah, I think, I mean that's it's unsustainable right you can uh, maybe you do your best work you know in pressure but you know pressure scenarios consistently is is no doubt going to cause burnout maybe for some people it happens you know in a month or three months or a year and then you flatline so uh, yeah. I've never seen anybody yada 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 over a flatline like that but I guess Nabil has uh, has spoken about it so often that uh, that that we can just get past it some some of the best ideas come out hanging at
0: the beach nomad futurist was a great example it came out in Hawaii
2: yeah, it's, it. it's, it's true. That's why Nabil always has the best ideas, because he spends more time on the beach than, than anyone on the planet.
1: Butt in sand, beer in hand.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so COVID-19 has been a hot topic uh, since actually we started this podcast. You know, work from home became a norm. Digital transformation became a norm, a subject that people could relate to and understand, whereas before, four months ago, it was a lot of hype. Where do you think we are at in this journey corporate-wide, being in America and, and globally speaking? Do you think that the old God has a much better understanding of what digital transformation means and how is it going to impact the generations to come?
1: I think that, you know, we've definitely set an example, right? And like I said, not everybody, not everybody is going to be a work-from-home person. Some people really, really, really need that interaction. But I think we've gotten to the point where we can really allow people to have that option, Right do you want to work from home? Do you want to work here? Do you want to come in some days and figure out, you know, what that mix is going to be? There's some careers that, you know, it's just not going to be a work from home scenario, like a retail counter to your point earlier. But I do think that it, this next generation is sort of always expected that work from anywhere experience. I think what's really going to change is going to be education. I think, Certainly students are going to expect a different type of education now that they've been educating remotely. I think that companies, instead of this being a perk, you know, if you work here, you get to work from anywhere to, you know, it's going to be more of a standard operating procedure. Um, I do think that some things are going to change and be triage. Like a lot of the people that maybe their data center was halfway across the United States and now all of a sudden they had to do something and everybody was counting on the same pair of remote hands. I think you're going to see a shift of some of that data center capacity. Um, and certainly I've been talking to a lot of people that are, uh, you know, working more on their enterprise data center than they are whatever's in a colo and edge I think is going to change some of that where some of that asset is going to move around depending on where people are. So I think, you know, coming out of this, I think there was a big proving ground, right? We definitely proved that we can still be productive and stuff is going to work from home. It'll be nice when you can have a business conversation where the first 30 minutes are not about COVID. And it'd be really nice when you can open up your email in the morning and you, you know, all these ambulance chasers aren't trying to sell you something because of COVID because it's a huge time toilet. Um, but, you know, but I, but I definitely think we've proven that multiple areas of work are you know going to be in play and like i said you know hr is going to have to step up to the plate and figure out a way to make that
0: work what do you think are some of the biggest challenges looking forward that will come out of it or what should we be looking at or prepping ourselves for
1: i think security of company data is huge i mean it's already it's been proven every single year that i can remember that most data breaches come from internally in a company and there's got to be some accountability and in ways to make sure that that data remains secured, regardless of where people work, and that it's not being shared in a manner that it should not be. I think having people accountable. I think um, you know, in some of these jobs that are going to be more remotely accessible, I think that very task driven, task driven job descriptions and task driven assignments are going to be there, so that accountability exists. You know, to make sure that people are working. And I think people are going to have to, companies are going to have to understand that not all work is going to happen eight to five. I mean, if you have a home office, you know, this, cause, cause you have one too, your job starts when you get up, you know, you're cause your office is there, right? So you're on your phone, you're on your laptop. You have a great idea at eight o'clock at night, you run over there, you type something up on, you know, on your laptop and you make it happen cause it's right there. And I think probably past that because of that, there's going to be a different type of work-life balance and people are going to have to figure out a way to get away from work because now it's everywhere that they are. And so it's probably going to come around circle. I think we're going to see a good mix for the next four or five years, but from a company perspective, I think we're going to see a lot more use of AI companies are going to figure out better ways to automate a lot of the troubleshooting and hands-on stuff that they've had to do so that, you know, that removes that from the plate and now the IT resources that we've hired to be brilliant, IT resources can be more strategic as opposed to reactive.
2: I think to to a certain extent, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, those of us that have started our own business are kind of used to working on this 24-hour clock. And I think that you know, the majority of the people that work within uh, some of these large organizations would actually excel and become more productive, like you said, if they're just given that runway, if they're given the rope to kind of define the way they can be productive in their own terms. And once they, they're able to do that, they'll actually enjoy their job significantly more and not like wait till the clock strikes five and then just get out of there because they're being forced into, you know, a specific type of, of, you know, methodology of how to do their job rather than being allowed to kind of let the productivity speak for itself and work in a way that makes sense, you know, to the individual.
1: Sure. And it's going to be iterative. I mean, you know, it's kind of difficult when you have a whole bunch of people sitting on teams, right? So I might be more productive from midnight to 6am and somebody else might be more productive from eight to five. But if those tasks line up where one counts on the other. I think there's there's going to have to be some balance from a team perspective to make sure that no one person is holding up other members of the team as people sort this out. Right. And, and it's like I said, it's going to be iterative. You know, maybe somebody wants to come to work every day, but when their kid's sick, they want to work remote. Or right. maybe you know, on the other hand, somebody has toddlers and it's easier for them to go to work and get away and be productive. So, yeah. uh, you know, I think it's going to change and morph.
2: I think, I think what we've said on a couple of the previous podcasts and, and the consensus seems to be, particularly in like a, a standard corporate environment, not necessarily retail or some of these, you know, environments that are just not, not, not you know, the, the kind of standard office environment, the, the office in and of itself is not necessarily going to disappear But it's going to morph into, you know, a time where collaboration is necessary in a much more collaborative type environment where people are going to schedule the times that they need to be, you know, together in order to more effectively do, you know, whatever tasks they have at hand, but then be able to, you know, kind of work individually um, at their own pace in their own environment.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we have to manage screen fatigue, too. You know, that's, I think, definitely a a real thing. Uh, Yeah, I have the blue (laughs) also yeah right um matter of fact my new monitor has the blue filter already built in but uh, you know I have calls with some folks like do you want to zoom can we just not I'm like so tired of Zoom. (laughs) not to knock zoom it's a great platform um but you know I I think the scrutiny of it it, it's definitely a different way of doing things and and um you know people are going to have to figure out how to manage that
0: As we move forward or in the current state of affairs, what do you think are the biggest hurdles from a workforce perspective and an economic perspective with all the uncertainty that we should be looking out for, or the younger generation in particular should be looking out for?
1: Hmm. That's a big loaded one. So, um, you know, I I definitely think that environmental issues are going to be big, right? So we have 5g coming out, all of these edge applications, It's one thing to manage power in a singular data center, but now we're looking at it kind of ubiquitously, but that also opens up job availability ubiquitously, right? So these data centers are going to be everywhere. The technology is going to be everywhere. I would definitely encourage young folks, you know, as they're coming up to realize that you don't just have to write code to be in IT. There's lots of avenues for jobs here and open up and broaden those horizons because, you know, those jobs, where today people think of those jobs as somewhere else, they're coming to a city near you, and I think those options and you know is going to be available there too.
0: Over the years, we've talked about computers, you know, taking all the jobs. Uh, we've seen a shift uh, from retail to e-tail, from conventional fiat currency to cryptocurrency. How do you address people or create that awareness whereby? People have this mindset and fear that robots are going to take over the jobs and uh, we're going to live in this artificial world. So
1: robots are going to take over some jobs, but somebody's got to program the robots, right? So I don't think it's necessarily that they remove jobs. I think that they change jobs and jobs that require you know, human intervention or th- you know thought processes. Those are not going to go away. You can't teach a zero in one robot to think. You can teach them to do repetitive tasks, but you certainly can't teach them to think. So, you know, but like I said, people have to build those robots. They have to program those robots. It's just a shift. It's not not a change. You know, people thought years ago that cloud was going to take away all these data center jobs. The cloud sits in a data center and people are building private clouds in their own data center. So it just, I think, is a, a change in skills. And I think as long as you are Adaptive and open to change, I think you have a great future in tech.
0: So, since uh, you're an ex CIO and a consultant, and we all uh, are excited about the buzzwords, we created the segment heretofore about uh, real or hype. I'll go through a list of the buzzwords that uh, we feel are overly used in the industry. Some are functional, some are not. Tell us your feeling on it and if it's real or hype in your opinion. Okay. So, starting with artificial intelligence
1: um, real ish.
0: machine learning
1: Uh, Uh, machine learning is definitely real i think uh machines have the ability to you know a lot of things happen really repetitively but machine learning only happens if somebody writes the algorithms for the machine to learn so
2: so we should um, change it to machine learning via human
1: there you go there you go that's that's actually better
2: much better (laughs) internet of things Garbage,
1: absolute garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Including some of the devices. <laughs> yeah, but see, you know, and here's the thing is is half these devices that are getting clumped in the internet of things don't even speak over the internet. It's not, you know, it
2: and even a fake dude, does somebody yeah, really that. need an internet enabled hairdryer? I know I don't, but does somebody that ha you got, you have lots of hair, right? Do you need an internet enabled hair dryer to tell you that, you know, your today today's going to be a little frizzy. You should, you should maybe, maybe it would help. I don't
1: know. Oh no, my hair will tell me that all by itself. <laughs> I don't need a hairdryer yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah, on the frizzy day, on the humid day, it just gets bigger and bigger. That one, I've got that one totally sorted. Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, some of this stuff is pretty cool. Like being able to, uh, you know, Warm your house up before you come home, or you know, if you're away on a trip and your husband gets makes you mad, you can crank it up to 82 just for grins and giggles. (laughs) But, uh, no, I I, half the stuff that's in there I think is just I'm doing a ton of smart city work right now, and IOT comes up all the time in smart city conversations and you know, smart street lamps and in different poles and things that do things, but. You know, autonomy is a whole separate thing in and of itself. And all of this gets grouped in that IoT category. And if you talk about the number of IoT-enabled devices, literally you have to count every cell phone, right, every smartphone, the devices that are going to be on the end, the Internet, you know, your computer, your browsers, everything that could listen to those. So now, really, you're just talking about a bunch of Things, For things, yes. This thing things. is such
2: a ridiculously things. general not word. A yeah,
1: <laughs> it's like um, what was that? Uh, what was that Star Wars episode? Or I mean, not Star Wars, but a uh, Star Trek where they came had that one cute little furry character that just kept multiplying and multiplying and <laughs> multiplying. Yeah, it, it's just uh, yeah, that's kind of what this is. It's just anything that can communicate. So yeah, I think that one's absolutely all right. So good.
2: Carrie likes Internet of Thermostats. Put that yeah, down.
0: there. You go. <laughs> Okay, hyper-automation.
1: Um, yeah, that's also kind of nondescript, I think. Um, you know, automation is one thing, but I think we need to, in my opinion, a lot of this stuff becomes less scary if you narrow it down and talk about what you're really trying to go for at the end. So I'm going to pull hype
0: on that one too. Okay, chatbots?
1: Sorry? Chatbots? chatbots? Oh my God, aren't they annoying. <laughs> um, but at least that's descriptive, right? You know what it does. But they... <laughs> they uh, they don't learn very well in the AI-ish that's built behind them. Very few of those chatbots actually work. I just want one that says, could you let me talk to a human? Right. That to me <laughs> would be a great chatbot. Let me chat with a human. That's the chatbot that I want. Blockchain. Blockchain, hmm, that I think is a very real technology. I think it has a lot of potential depending on how it's used, but being able to move that authentication out to meshed edge networks. um, I think there's definitely some technically technical advances there in blockchain. So I'm going to say not hype.
2: It's another one of those things, though. I mean, blockchain. and We talked about this in the last one. It's uh, it, there's definitely a technical thing, like blockchain for distributed authentication, yeah, makes yes. all the sense in the world. But now, everybody that had some tech idea that couldn't get funded is throwing the word blockchain in the name of their company and and trying to say, oh no, this is a, this is a new blockchain product, even if it. Has yeah, stuff, it good
1: do it. point. Yeah. And it's kind of like cryptocurrency, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, that
1: encompasses. A I mean, whole they're, lot, rel-
0: they're 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 related, right? Yeah. Quantum computing.
1: Quantum, Quantum computing. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, it definitely has possibilities. Um. I, I'm going to say hype on that one too. <laughs> I think we're just not there yet.
2: We got to get past AI first. Yeah. Right. Five G. Yeah. We got to. In this. In this. In this place, we have to get past AI first, then we can start <laughs> introducing AI. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. 5G is the next best thing until 6G hits. 5G <laughs> is so overhyped. I think that it, there's definitely going to be some advantages to rural America and folks that have not really had great options for internet. I think that, that there's certainly some options there. You know, they opened up the CB bands for some other things, you know, it, for um, communications. But yeah, 5G, I think that is so overhyped. Uh, do we have a hyperhype? Category.
0: <laughs> I hope that's, to create one. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> Good. Edge.
1: Edge is um, yeah, it's very descriptive. It's something that sits at the edge. What is that? It's a device. It's a data center. It's a. I think if you put a modifier next to edge, then it's probably more real. If you just say edge compute, I think it's total hype.
2: I uh, I was on. A, I'll, I'll just uh, have one interjection here, which is. Um, I, I was asked this question, what is the edge once in an interview? And my response was, well, you know, the world is a sphere. I'm going to assume that 99% of the, I know you're going to suggest that there are people that don't believe that, but I assume it's, uh, let, let's, let's, let's assume you that the three assume of us believe the, yeah, <laughs> the world is a sphere. And by definition, circular objects have no edge. So it's just everywhere. Anyway, sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, good point. I, you know, like I said, if there's a modifier with it, you know, edge device, edge compute, an edge data center. I think that it has a real meaning, but just edge as a whole, I think it's, yeah, it's another one of those uh, garbage cans that turned into a dumpster.
0: How about the empowered edge? (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Okay. So no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Again, it's, that's another one of those big hypes. And I absolutely guarantee you that there is not a CIO on this planet that doesn't wish that their CEO had not read the word cloud in some magazine. Because, you know, it, it's a, so, so this is kind of my take on all this stuff. Everything is a tool in your toolkit. It's how you choose to use it, right? You're not going to screw in a screw with a hammer. You're not gonna, you know, you're not going to put a nail in with a screw gun. So everything is a tool in your toolkit and you have to figure out which pieces of these you're going to use.
2: If you hit the screw hard enough though, am I work.
1: Um, It could, but it's probably not going to be real beneficial to whatever you're trying to drive the screw into. Yeah,
0: Uh, You won't be able to unscrew it. How about the distributed cloud?
1: Um, Distributed cloud, I think, probably has at least, uh, you know, there's that modifier there, right? So you can tell at least that it's some level of a compute that's distributed out. But, yeah, I'm going to say that's a little bit hypish too. Data warehousing? Data warehousing is, um, that's a pretty good catch-all. Uh, it, but at least it's descriptive, right? All of your data is relatively in one place, and it's a warehouse. And if you picture the robots that can run around and pick and pull the data out of what you want, um, at least yeah, it's at least it's a relatively you know descriptive.
0: Net neutrality.
1: <sighs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Neutral to what? Neutral to what? So yeah, I'm going total hype on that one.
0: Okay. Actionable analytics.
1: Um, that I think is very descriptive. Actionable is something that we miss in a lot of this hype. <laughs> if you pick like all of those last buzzwords that you said, which ones are totally actionable? Uh, and maybe that's a good definition to figure out whether it's hype or not, is just that actionable modifier there. But I think, yeah, that's, that's probably a good one. Because at least, you know, at least you know that you're going for something you can. All right.
2: Let's go back to actionable, actionable IOT. No, okay. Just. You're still, yeah, I, I'm still not Bill, sold on you, IoT. You can't yeah.
1: put a modifier on IoT and make me buy into that <laughs> one. I'm sorry.
0: Bill, we are not <laughs> marketing guys. Okay, how about uh, Industry 4.0? Um.
1: Yeah, no, I, I just, why can't you just call it improvements in manufacturing or something that, you know, that is a, another you call it what it's going to be it's going to be um, industrialized robots. it's going to be robots that perform a certain thing or AI over an assembly line to figure out where things are going. so yeah I think I'm not no, going numbers
2: numbers are always tough, right 5g yeah. makes no sense because then you're just like, okay what's after 5g if you put it in number form, iPhone 2, iPhone 3, iPhone 4 everyone's just looking for whatever the next thing is because the thing that's now is already boring which is yeah, the nature of technology. It.
0: Totally like la- last but not least, human augmentation.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Don't plastic surgeons do that?
0: <laughs> they do.
1: <laughs> yeah. So everything is going to make us better because somehow that, you know, just assumes that we're flawed, which we are. But, I, you know, you're not going to engineer that out of anything.
2: Doesn't sound like Carrie is a big fan of RoboCop.
1: Um, no. I've <laughs> never actually seen that movie, so... <laughs>
0: So you're in the in the tech industry uh, as, a, as a technologist, as a CIO, as an ex-CIO. Well, what is it that gets you motivated, gets you excited? What is the new tech that you're looking at?
1: So right now I'm doing a good bit of work with smart cities. And, and my thing with tech is that I believe that we have to use tech for good. And that's really what turns me on, is figuring out a way to either make a person's life better through actions, thoughts, or technology. And so you know, from an outreach perspective, if I can make one person's day better, I think that's a great thing. From a technology perspective, some of the stuff that's happening with smart cities is pretty amazing. From a life safety perspective, from, you know, uh, a better stewardship of our environment perspective, there's so much happening that you can put it all together and make people's lives better. So we can have, you know, Wi-Fi or CBRS or something so that people can communicate all around a city. We can have all of that tied to life safety measures. So if there's a loud explosion, it automatically, you know, nobody has to call 911 because in a panic, people may not do that. Or we can have it set to where, um, you know, you can, uh, you can have lights come on only when people are there. You can see from, heat maps, how many people have occupied a certain area. So maybe you change your bus route. So they're not running at different times when kind of nobody's in those areas and only running when there's occupied people, you know, or a need demand, I guess is a better way to put that. But I think some of those technologies are really cool, you know, to be able to do from a smart city perspective. And then of course, once you have that data, you can start changing that data. We can use voice recognition to figure out when, bad actors are on the street and it can find those people, um, you know, all of those kind of things. It can look for patterns, you know, people leaving backpacks sitting where they're not supposed to be. So I think from that perspective, we've just barely touched what can happen. I will say from a smart city perspective though, that a lot of what happens is like from a smart, look at smart water meters and smart meters, right? You can tell if there's a water leak before the water leak, you know, right at when it starts before there's a giant flood or other damage. But not all of that technology wants to talk to all of that other technology. So I think we have a way to go there. And then autonomy certainly is going to play off of some of those same sensors in, in that same um, realm. But that, to me, is is actually really cool. I think what's happening with 3D, especially with 3D in relation to uh, medical devices, is amazing. You know, being able to give a kid without an arm a 3D printed arm is Awesome. Um, there was there was a new press release today talking about how the uh, medical society is actually embracing three D architecture for printing and what they can do for hip replacements and both inside and you know to supplement the body and and you know be the six million dollar man or whatever. <laughs> so those are the kind of things you know that I think where we're using technology for good. Um, that I think we have a, a long way to go, but certainly something that makes it fun and you know an ever changing day
0: right so there's a lot of good things like you mentioned got, that, that that technology is uh, bringing to the forefront um, however you also talked a little bit about security you talked about technology getting in the wrong people's hand with smart cities do you feel that there is a potential for invasion of security invasion of privacy and too 100%. much control of the government in our lives
1: yeah, so you know, Big Brother is is there, right? Um, I do think that smart cities have, and the the cities that are going down this path really should have a security first strategy, without a doubt. Uh, but I'll give you a good example. I was in London years ago, um, and I was actually on the tube that the that bomber blew up um, the day prior, and so. You know, one of the advantages—the average at that time, the average U.S. citizen that was in London for a day was photographed more times in a day in London than they are in seven years in the United States because they have cameras everywhere, and they were able to catch the guy in a very, very short period of time and everybody that he was working with. So I think there's a trade-off. And today, to be honest, anybody that thinks they have a shred of privacy that has a cell phone or uses the internet is a little delusional, anyway. So, you know, my deal is why not take that tech and make it work for the common good? And, you know, I mean, privacy is certainly a concern. And, you know, I've sort of always had this uh, street cameras. Great example, right? We catch people running red lights and catch people speeding on street cameras. And then that was challenged because, you know, somebody might be out slipping around on their spouse and you send a picture home and there's two people in the car. So now you have to black out the passenger side and only show who the driver was of the car to make sure that, um, you know that 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 person is seen. But if that person is running red lights, they're a hazard, right? They're a danger to other people around them. So there's definitely a trade off. But like I said, it, you know, you have to have that security first mentality. And I think, you know, people, a lot of people buy into that. The, the, a lot of the smart cities that I've been interviewing, and I've talked to some great folks like uh, Lincoln Nebraska, the guys in um, Florence, Arizona, who've done amazing things, they took a, sec, a, a security first strategy. So they committed to not put anything in, in their smart city that wasn't security bound. And I've got a great white paper that's going to come out here in a, in a few weeks that interviews some of these folks and the different technology and kind of key points around that. But once you know that that data is protected, then, then that's a very different story, right? And it's not falling in the hands of bad actors
2: I think that you know one of the one of the problems I think we have to a large extent in in this country is you know you have the ability to implement a lot of these technical technological um, things fairly quickly um, and and the grand scheme of things you know a lot of that tech already exists and it's just about you know unlocking the budget to implement them and you can make and I think in general the implementation of them are done you know for good reasons. But you know some of the, the the legal basis for whether you know this is used you know for good or for bad a lot of that depends on you know who's in positions of authority and there's a you know there's 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 a significant amount of turnover there by design over time but the laws just don't keep up with you know, a lot of the technology that's out there. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the, the people that, that put in the laws, you know, senators, congressmen, uh, both statewide and, and countrywide, are just not sophisticated when it comes to technology. And in some cases, or that's, that's a feature, right? Them not being a technologist becomes like kind of a laugh line, when in reality, that is incredibly, um, that's, a, that's a problem, that's a big yeah. problem, it's irresponsible, it's, it's dangerous.
0: Yeah, I mean, you've got people making decisions or actually lobbying for it that have no idea of how it works. I mean, in a lot of ways, and people that I've actually interacted with in the past, they think email is the ultimate technology. This is it. They don't understand the concept of humanity. We also have a president
2: that doesn't use email.
0: Well, he uses 140 characters.
2: He uses that.
1: Yeah, well, not to get political, but, um, you know, I do think that we are well past the time in this country and actually most countries to have a technology steering board. I mean, a lot of this technology can be used without storing information that is personally identifiable. And so, you know, where there is personally identifiable information, and I know California has even gone a step above and beyond, you know, what we store about cookies and, and where, you know, where people have been and, what they're, you know, there, there's always a way to get around that, right? So, um, you know, you got got duck, DuckDuck from a, from a browsing perspective and other ones, but a lot of the smart city technology, like I said, can work off of cumulative numbers without storing personally identifiable information. But, you know, we, we really do need to have a technology steering committee because, you know, tech is where it's going and the amount of information that is stored, I, I not only that, but I read it. I read a thing um, probably about six months ago. Do you know how much of your life you would waste if you read every end user license agreement
2: that you? <laughs> I don't know the number. I can imagine it's a. It big was one.
1: thirty years. <laughs>
2: this one study: thirty years of your life would be wasted
1: um, for the average person with all the apps that you have. And here's something else. You know, you look at you look at Facebook right now and how many, uh, it and Twitter and some of these others. But but especially Facebook. I'm going to pick on them because you know people come out with these games. You know, what, what would your what would your Irish drinking name be? You know, tell us your birthday and uh, the first letter of your, your maiden name. Well, okay, yeah, let's just yeah. sign up for every hacker to hack our stuff that right. way. And then all these accounts are getting hacked. So
2: phishing scheme, scheme facilitator. Maybe they should change yeah, yeah. Facebook to P-H-A-C-E.
1: Right. So when, when the internet first came out, I taught a class on PBS called internet for parents. And the whole idea was to help parents understand where their kids have been on the internet how to use those cookies, how to figure out where they've been. Of course, technology has changed a lot since then. But the problem that you have now is these kids come home from school knowing way more about technology than their parents do. And these kids know way more about technology than our legislators do. I mean, look at the average age of somebody in our legislative branch. They're not young. And and most of them are not, excuse me, technically savvy either. So you know, there has to be beyond lobbyists. I think there has to be, and, you know, NIST does some and the FCC does some, but I really think that we need more of a steering committee for some of, you know, what's being stored and security procedures and best practices around all of that that's being stored that has no political motivation. It's just for the common good, right?
2: I mean, one of the, one of the issues I think also beyond that is, you know, the kids certainly know I mentioned this in previous podcasts how a lot of the technology works. Like they, they'll come back with Snapchat and the parents don't know what Snapchat is, and you know they're able to augment their faces and it's cute. But you have all those apps that have other kind of weird face augmentation things that are that are put out there by foreign actors. Oh, put your face in the camera and then right, we'll show we you what you're look like an adult. For now you have exactly yes. and <laughs> and you know, I don't think there's a lot of education, certainly in schools about you know the accountability and what the bad actors could be doing with that stuff because to the kid it's innocuous right they download something on their phone they take a picture of themselves and they share it and it's cute but on the back end the amount of damage the amount of data that's stored that can do things easily like take over identities and, and do things that you know in the past used to take you know some you know at least somebody like sniffing through your trash or something to try to get some identifiable right. thing and the kids are just giving it to them and there's nobody certainly it's not going to be the parents certainly it's not going to be the government because the kids are not interacting with the government. So there's got to be someone within the kind of educational institution that is, you know, teaching the potential. Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's a few classes, I think that we've, or things we've gotten away from in the United States or just need. So one would be obviously internet responsibility, protecting your own identity, Uh, you know, because like you said, you know, parents think it's cute and oh, that would never happen to my kid because we're all genuinely trusting people until something bites us and makes us not trusting. And, you know, that's just human nature. So, but I think we need that responsibility. I think kids need to understand, you know, currency and the value of money and and what it costs because, you know, for a lot of them, it's just download this, you know, download this. And, you know, here's an app for that. Here's an app for that. So they've lost a lot of that. I think we we're missing a lot of the arts education in a lot of schools that certainly helps develop different parts of of kids' brains. And we've, we've really shied away from trades and tech is a great example where, you know, you don't necessarily have to have a degree. It's great if you have one, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm definitely not knocking education. Although I will say coming out of this pandemic, I think people are going to have different expectations for education. And and even young kids, they're going to expect a more digital experience. And, you know, there's, um, there's a company out of D.C. that I do a good bit of work with that does sort of a whiteboard on steroids. It's got the Android operating system built in and it allows kids to use iPads and be interactive on the screen. But they've locked down. It's you know, they, they have their own app store and it's only safe and secure apps for the kids. And now, you know, look how long it took just to get where a parent could mirror their child's phone and know what their kid was doing on the Internet. And parents won't do that. You know, speaking to, to privacy, there's a lot of parents who say, oh, you know, I can't snoop on what my kid's done, doing on the internet. That invades their privacy. You know, I'm of the old school. Your kid has no privacy till they're 18. If they're under your roof, they have no privacy, period. It's, it's a matter of responsibility, right? And making sure that they understand that people actually can do bad things with that. Look at all these kids coming up missing from, you know, innocuous online chats with other eight-year-olds that turn out to be not
0: eight-year-olds. Kind of interesting you mentioned um, mm-hmm. another marketing buzzword or the tagline used to be, there's an app for it. Yeah. <laughs> there is, yeah. yeah. So, Carrie, what are some final thoughts uh, for our listeners? Uh, you are obviously a very successful person. You've uh, done quite a lot in your career, uh, doing some great things with innovation with smart cities and, uh, some consulting engagements, what would your final thoughts be? What would you have done differently based on what you know today?
1: You know, I think I'm one of these people that think everything's a learning experience. You either learn something positive or you learn something negative. My, um, But if you are young and you're coming up through tech, I will say this. I think you need to start today and write down your accomplishments, anything that you feel proud of in a journal. Because 10 years from now, you're not going to remember what you did 10 years ago. And sometimes you're going to have days where you just feel down in the dumps. And it's really nice to go back and remember things that you felt proud of. And also, it kind of tends to jog your memory if you go back and start reading through some of those entries, you know. And and that's where innovation happens. You think, oh man, this was really successful. Maybe I can do something else with that. Um, I would also say stick with it. And I'll give you a good example. Years ago, I wrote an app called Grocer Easy where you could scan the barcode off every grocery that you had, and then you set up your app so that it was an aisle order for your grocery store. And you could transmit all of that to the grocery store and drive around and pick up your groceries. And there was, you know, you could pick up birthdays and, and prescriptions and all that with the app. And I marketed it to a few grocery chains, and they said, "Yeah, you know, we're we're just not going to do that. People, that's too much tech. People aren't going to use this little bar code reader, and you know, people aren't going to do drive up grocery shopping." And after you know, after a while, I I dropped it because you know you run out of money and everything. I should have stuck with it. Look, that is the norm right now. And it's not, not just right written there. from a grocery store perspective, but if you had it from uh, a disinterested third party right now, you know, you have intelligence about what your consumers are buying from your competitors and you can start stocking that yourself. So you lose some of that intelligence, but I would say I should have stuck with that. And I think that, you know, if, if you have a good idea and you believe in a concept and believe in what you're doing, stick with it. Even if it takes, you know, I, I, I should have stuck with it. So um, I would say that would probably be, one thing is just, you know, don't give up on, and if one path doesn't work for you, find a different path.
2: Let the record show that Carrie invented actionable analytics. There you go.
1: There you go.
0: (laughs) Well, Rome was not built in one day. So great, great way to summarize that. Carrie, thank you very much for joining us. This has been absolutely phenomenal. Enjoy the conversation.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it.
0: This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back, currencies will rebound, businesses will go on and we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.